At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. God has designed us to, for these great longings. And I want to submit something to you, and I really want you to think about this. Maybe you want to write this down as a, as a point to remember or a point to challenge. What if all of our longings are really a longing for Jesus? Think about that. What if our longings, right, everything that we long for, everything we desire is really a desire, our heart, our body, our soul craving Jesus? Today, I want us to look as we begin this new series entitled Fulfilled. Where, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be diving into Matthew's Gospels. And we're going to be taking a look at five opportunities in Matthew's Gospels where Matthew takes an opportunity to write about Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of promises from the Old Testament. So we're going to be jumping back and forth. We're going to be looking back to what God's promises that he's made and how they are fulfilled in Jesus. And we know that there's this desperation in the world and we want it to be filled, but we got to fill it with the right things. And so today what we're going to see is that Christ is the fulfillment of all of our deepest longings. Before we get there, I want to give us a quick exercise. Can you put that? Yeah, that's up. I want us to consider this this morning before we jump into God's word. What you choose to put in the blank says a lot about what you believe, right? Let me, let me explain this, this graph to you or this, this sentence to you for a second. First of all, on the left side, we have God, right? We have God who is the creator God, God who is omniscient, God is omnipresent, God is all-powerful, God is creator, God is holy, God is separate, God is amazing. So we got God on the left, and then there's a division, there's a separation between us. So we got God who's holy and just and righteous and all that, and then we've got us. And if we were to fill that in, we would see that we are broken, we are sinful, we are people that are in desperate need of something, and yet we're rebellious against God. And so we've got God over here, and we've got us on the other side, and what's in between? How is it that we relate to God? Well, a lot of times we can put a lot of different words on the blank in the middle. We might say God is above us, meaning that God is, is above us so much so that we can't know him, we can't understand him. Or, or others may say God is below us, that, that God, God is just some figment of our imagination that we're above him and we control him or he doesn't even exist. Or God is all around us. Right, that means God is still separate from us, but he's still all around us. Or maybe there is a VS in the middle. 
God is against us. Or God has abandoned us. Right? It's super important how we answer that. What we put in the blank tells a lot about how we really believe our relationship with God should be. Or if we can even have a relationship with God. Well, today, as we look at the passage, we're going to see that Matthew says that the right answer is God with us. God with us changes everything, right? It changes everything. It's not God against us, not God abandoned us, not God above us, not God below us, but God with us. Us. And this is the reality that I pray that we, we rest in this morning and we learn to understand that God is not against you. God has not abandoned you. But through Christ, God is with us. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and that reality of God with us or God with you just seems like a statement that rolls off our tongue and it's lost its meaning. And my prayer for you, if that's you today, that the Lord would take his scalpel to the hardness of your heart and he would begin to pull back that, cut off those calluses so that your heart could receive this amazing message today that God is with us. This changes everything. Or maybe you're here today and you've heard about Jesus and you've heard about this God and you like don't know anything. Or maybe you're like, I don't believe this Jesus stuff. Well, I want you, I want us for a moment just to step into God's word and allow his word to speak. I just want you to listen. You can challenge it if you want to, but I want us to, to come to God's word because if, if God is with us, if God promises he's with us and wants to be with us, then how is it that we can be with him? Because the Bible tells us there's no way on our own we can be with God because God is holy and we are sinful. And so there has to be a divide between the two of us. When sin entered into the world, creation began to groan. Right? We began to groan. We knew that something was missing. God's design was, was trash. God's design was distorted. And distance between a holy God and sinful man became a reality. And throughout all space and time, we know that really our deepest longing in our heart is to be with God. Our deepest longing is to have peace with God. And we can't have peace with God on our own. And so, as we look at our text today, I want us to begin in verse 23. Just quickly. It says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, what is amazing about Matthew as he's writing this and helping us understand that our deepest longing is for God, but our deepest longing for God comes through Jesus, is look at this invitation that is present here. As we look at this, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What Matthew is doing here is an amazing invitation you see, Emmanuel was written in a word that was not everyone understood. 
right? It was, it was written, those that was written to in, in Greek and Hebrew and all that, they, they understood what that meant, but he goes the next step and he translates it. And he says, which means God with us. So Emmanuel is not just for the Israel nation. It's not just for the Hebrew people. What Matthew is saying is this Emmanuel is for all of us. It's for anyone that God can be with us. What an amazing invitation. We're going to pick apart this verse. We're going to dive deep into this verse. But what I want to see today is that God is with us. Jesus, in Jesus, God comes to be with us. This us is everybody. You no longer have to be Hebrew. You no longer have to be a a, a part of a lineage or a genealogy. None of that stuff matters. But you have an opportunity to be with God through Jesus. What an amazing thing. And today as we look at this passage, I want us to see two realities that make God with us so amazing. Two realities in this passage that we're going to look at today that help us understand that God is with us. First, let's take a look at the virgin conception. This is what makes everything different. How God can be with us is one way is through the virgin conception. Look at me in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." Jump down to verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Now, the story of God with us begins in what seems like a potential scandal, right? The, the, but it really is the fulfillment of a prophecy. It's the fulfillment of a prophecy that comes all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, chapter 7 verse 14, which we'll get to in just a moment. But what I want us to to begin to see as we walk through this is that as Matthew is quoting the prophecy from Isaiah, he is bringing to a connection between the Old Testament and now what is happening and what has happened through the birth of Jesus, that his name would be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But as he looks at this, Matthew, first of all, wants us to know that Mary was a virgin. See, she goes back and we see that tells the story of Jesus' birth. It's from the very beginning. We see that the fact that Mary was a virgin and this is super important. Matthew doesn't want us to to think that it's just a myth or or, or something that is made up that, that our whole salvation rests on the fact that Mary had to be a virgin, that that Jesus had to be born of a virgin. And we see this in, in the text showing up that she had to be born of a virgin because this is when Mary, his mother, had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, what we have to understand is back in the Galilee area, so this was Jewish people, but there was the area of Galilee. The Galileans, which Jesus was uh, one of the Galileans, they had different uh, special kind of uh, wedding practices than the rest of Israel. Right? The Galileans did it a little bit different. They entered into a betrothal period, and this is kind of how it went down. 
What would happen is the potential husband and wife, so Mary and Joseph, one day would meet at the, at the gate in front of everyone in the town. The Joseph would tell Mary of his intentions to marry her. And Mary would have the opportunity to either accept or reject the offer of marriage or the proposal of marriage. And so Mary and Joseph were at that place where that happens before this time. And he asked her, would you marry me? And she's like, I have every intention to. And so she willingly entered into that relationship. Then what would happen, this is different than some of the other places, is the potential husband and wife would be separated. The, the Galileans time, what happened is the, the groom or Joseph would go back to his father's house. And what he would begin doing is he would begin building upon his father's house to make room for his new wife and family that would grow from there. And so he had something to do. In that period, the wife or the Mary would go off to be with her ladies in waiting and she would prepare herself for the wedding. There was no um, exact determination of how long that betrothal period would happen. So the intentions were given, then they would enter into the betrothal period, and Mary and Joseph would not see each other. They would not be together because they were busy doing different things. The marriage would uh, ensue when the father of Joseph would come to Joseph at a time that Joseph had no idea. The father would come to him and say, now it's time to go get your bride. And then the wedding would take place. There's a lot of eschatological things going on in that too as well, which hopefully you can pick up on. Then the wedding would happen. So what we see here in what's happening in Matthew chapter one is that these couple, Mary and Joseph, are in the midst of this betrothal period. So they've been promised to one another, but they're not together. But then Joseph gets word that Mary's pregnant. And he knows there's only way, one way a person gets pregnant. Right? You can't be half pregnant. You can't be partially pregnant. Like you're fully, you're either you're pregnant or you're not. And so Mary is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, wait, that's not how this works. Right? In, in all the history of time, it's never worked that way. Right? A, a man and a woman come together and they have a child. That's the way it works. And now Joseph, though he still loves Mary, one, realizes that this brings shame upon the family and the culture. And so what does he do? Because he loves her, he's like, he's going to put her away quietly. But he doesn't realize that God is at work. And God has just stepped in and is doing something amazing. So Joseph, uh, uh, Joseph has a dream and the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, that gives Joseph just the courage and gives him the understanding to be obedient, to walk through this, which we'll see more in a minute. But the virgin conception is super important for us to understand. There, there's no way, Matthew wants us to understand and to know that there's no way that, that this was a slip up, that this was a mistake, that Mary could only be pregnant from the Holy Spirit, that this was, that she was in fact a virgin until conception. Or even at the point of conception. But then Matthew also wants to connect Jesus' birth with Isaiah's prophecy. We have to go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. What's, what's taking place in chapter 7, verse 14 is Isaiah was a prophet that was called of God to communicate to the people of God um, the impending judgment that was coming. 
Like Isaiah was there to tell God's people, because of your disobedience, because you're unwilling to turn back to God, that they were going to be overthrown and they were going to be thrust into exile. And so that was Isaiah's message. He was a very popular prophet. He was like, you're sinful, now you're going into exile. But also in the prophecies of exile, Isaiah also had the opportunity to prophesy about the Messiah that would come that would save the world from their sins, that would restore Israel and the world's relationship with, back with God. And so he had the opportunity to prophesy those things. And in Isaiah chapter seven, what's happened is King Ahaz was the, the king of Judah. And King Ahaz was a wicked king. He was a terrible king. He never did right in the sight of the Lord and always did his own thing in his own way, worshiped other gods and did all kinds of atrocious things. He was a terrible person. And Isaiah, or, or, or Ahaz gets word that two kingdoms of the north are going to come and invade and they're going to overthrow him and he's worried and he's terrified. And so Isaiah comes to him with uh, a word from the Lord. And Isaiah go, comes to Ahaz and says, would you ask the Lord for a sign? Ask God for a sign. And Ahaz, with this seeming, seeming piety, says, I will not. I will not ask the Lord for a sign. Now on the, on the surface, that seems like he's doing the right thing. Like don't trust, don't test the Lord your God. Don't do that. But that's not what he was doing. King Ahaz was showing his absolute rebellion of the Lord. He was saying, I do not want to know what he has to say. He's not the boss of me. I don't want to know what God has to say. And so in his defiance against the Lord, the Lord comes to Isaiah and says, give him one anyways. Tell him. Tell him that I'm going to give you a sign. And what is the sign? That she shall conceive. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. And this virgin that will conceive, this one that will conceive, his name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now, what's happening, and we've got to understand, when you look at prophecy... Lots of times in the Bible, this prophecy has a, a, a near prediction or a, a prophecy that is, will be fulfilled near, but also a lot of times there, it has implications in the far distance. And that's the case here. So in Ahaz's time, in Israel's time, um, there was a near prophecy. This prophecy was fulfilled. There was a child whose name was Emmanuel, and it, was, it came at the same exact time that God was freeing his people or caring for his people once again back in the time of Isaiah. Okay? But what Matthew is doing here, Matthew's going back to that prophecy and he's saying that this uh, child, this is to be born, will be born of a virgin and his name is to be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So this has implications into the future, which points all to Jesus. And this is what's being fulfilled now. God is fulfilling the promises of old and I want us, just for a moment, to see why it is so important that Jesus is born of a virgin. See, some, even some biblical scholars, so-called biblical scholars will say, we don't really need the virgin birth. We don't really need, like, because that goes against what we experience, right? Women don't just have babies. They've, there's got to be something that happens before that. It just does, you just don't walk around and immediately have a baby in your belly. We know that's not how it works, but this is what's happened in this time. And so people are like, that goes against our experience, blah, 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 blah. But we have to understand that the virgin birth is super important, that our hope 
rests in the fact that Mary, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus had to be born by the, conceived by the Holy Spirit because it allowed him to bypass or overcome the curse from Adam. Because Adam, remember in, in, in Romans, through Adam all sin. So it doesn't matter where you're born, who you're born, what color of your skin, how rich you are, it doesn't matter. We're all born as humans, gets passed on down because we are the seed of Adam. We have a depraved nature. That means our nature looks at God and we reject him with our hearts. That is born inside of us. And that gets passed on down. So not that we, not that we um, unwillingly choose to do evil. No, we choose to do evil because we're depraved. If God is going to come save us from our sins, he cannot be depraved. And that's why God has to come through the Holy Spirit and bring this conception to Mary. That's the hope of our salvation. If Jesus was just another man, then even if he lived a perfect life, he could only save himself, but he had to be both God and man at the same time. This is an amazing thing. That God, God, who loves us so much, would come to us. Even though we've done the wrong, we've done the harm, we've rejected him, God comes to us. And it's a promise that he didn't just make up one day, but there's a promise that he had before the foundations of the earth were laid. He knew in eternity past that we as his created beings would reject him, but his love for us would seek to redeem us and to restore us. And Matthew goes to great lengths to make sure that we understand that Mary was a virgin, that she had never had sex before Jesus' birth because God is with us. The second truth I want us to see today is the birth of a son. Look at me in um, verse 21. She will bear a son and you should call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, this is important. This is super important because we see both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus coming together in this one place. Yes, God with us comes through the Holy Spirit, but then we also see that he is adopted. This is him being adopted by his earthly father. Joseph, the angel comes to Joseph and this is their conversation. He says, don't, don't worry. Like what, what is happening is, is a gift from the Lord and it's a work of the Lord, but you shall call his name Jesus. So in this passage, we see two names for the name of Jesus. First, Emmanuel being God with us. And then he has been given this name, Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? Jesus in Hebrew is a Hebrew word for Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. It's not just some name. 
but it is the name by which above all names, by with the only name by which we can be saved is the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has the purpose for his name is to be Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Not only is God with us, but the ways that God is with us because he saves us from our sins. There's no way that we can be reunited with God because we're sinful apart from Christ. So Jesus had to come. And what the amazing thing about Jesus is that Jesus does not just stay as a baby in the manger. Jesus grows from a baby in a manger into a man. And every single step of his life, every single way that he walked, he walked in complete obedience to the Father. In every way that you and I are rebellious against the Father, Jesus was obedient to the Father. And Jesus lived a perfect life completely in communion with the Father. He was with the Father, but he was also with us. And while living, he knew that the whole purpose of his life was to come and die. See, in order for our sins to be forgiven, the Bible tells us that sin has to be punished and sin is punished through death. And so Jesus on the cross does an amazing thing. As he's willfully giving himself to the cross. No one made him go to the cross. But as Jesus is on the cross, we see the world, you and I are crucifying him. But yet something even more deep is happening on a spiritual level. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin on the cross became sin for us. All of our sin, all of the things that we messed up, all the ways that we have violated all of, command, all of God's commands, all of that stuff, all of that punishment was given to Jesus. All the penalty was paid by Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus endured the wrath of God. What you and I deserve for our sin, Jesus took our punishment. And on the cross, Jesus died. And God saw that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. So what did he do? He raised Jesus from the dead. And by raising Jesus from the dead, now death was put to death. All of the sin was paid for. And now Jesus is alive. And anyone that believes in Jesus can receive his forgiveness. And we can be made right with God. This is an amazing thing. God with us changes everything. In Jesus, God comes to be with us. I want to just for a moment, I want us to look at the, the two different uh, writings of the prophecy, first from Isaiah and look at Matthew chapter one. There's a little, there's a little difference in, in the two verses. I, yes, Isaiah was written in Hebrew and yes, Matthew was written in Greek. But when you take a look at them, this is, this is the way the translation comes out into English. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then we look at what Matthew says. Matthew says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you see the difference? There's a they. Right? The difference is what Matthew is saying is Matthew saying, now in this person of Christ and anyone else that comes after him, anyone who calls him Emmanuel, God with us. So Matthew's looking towards those that would come to faith in Jesus. 
Those that would come to the place of considering the work of Christ and believing in him as their Lord and Savior, it's they who call him Emmanuel, God with us. It is they who have the opportunity to know that God is with them, God is for them, God is not against them, God has not abandoned them. And you know who them are? Us. Anyone who believes in Jesus gets the promise of understanding that God is with us. If you're a believer in Christ, God is with you. God has not abandoned you. God is not against you. But God has nothing but love for you. This is the amazingness of Christmas. The, yeah, just give God praise for that. That God becomes flesh and dwells among us to save us from our sin. This with changes the story. This with changes the story because no longer are we under condemnation. No longer are we in desperate need of salvation. No longer are we distant from God. It changes the story. This with not only changes the story, but it changes the relationship. No longer are we enemies of God, but the Bible tells us because Jesus is with us, because God is with us, we are now children of God. We've been adopted into the family of God, and our Father is the God who has created all things, and he loves us. This with not only changes our, the story, changes our relationship, this with changes our present reality. We are not alone. We're not alone. In the midst of this world where everyone feels so alone and where it feels like the darkness is closing in and it feels like there's so many dis dysfunctions in the world and we feel so much pain and darkness, the Bible tells us because of the with, because God is with us, we are not alone. You are not alone. This with also changes our eternity because we have the promise that Jesus is coming back again and because of our faith in him, we will be with God for all eternity. I love how John writes in Revelation. He gives this, this imagery of what is to come. He says in Revelation chapter 21, verse three, he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. There's coming a time with those, for those that have placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we will be with God. With him in his presence. With him in his love. With him in his embrace. With him in perfection. We will see his glory. The glory that all humans, if ever could see the glory of God, would turn from his face because we can't behold it. There's coming a time when we will behold the full glory of God and it will cause us to worship. But... those that choose to reject Jesus will also experience the presence of God. But it won't be the presence of his glory. It will be in the presence of his wrath. 
where for all eternity, his wrath will be poured upon those that are disobedient, those that refuse to turn away from their wickedness, away from their own shame, away from their own pain, those that are unwilling to bow their knee before the Savior. God has done the work. God has promised us that he is with us. He has done the work to save us from our sins. And having knowledge of it, now we're accountable to it. You are accountable to the fact that you know that Jesus is your only hope for salvation. And we must decide what we do with Jesus. Either you continue to reject him or you bow your knee before him. He is worthy of all of our praise. So this morning, you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Either he is your promise. He is the one that makes the way for you to have a relationship with God or he's not. If he's not, I, 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 I can't urge you anymore to believe. Like that has to be something that comes from within. But if you're feeling a sense of conviction this morning, that conviction is not coming from the devil. That conviction is coming from the spirit of God, that same spirit that allowed Mary to conceive. That same power is present in this place right now. That this God can do the miraculous. He can make the dead, make them come alive. He can take the person that's addicted and give them freedom. He can take the marriage that is on the brink of, of, of shriveling apart and he can bring it back together. He can take the family that is distant right now and bring restoration. This is the power that is present in the room this morning. All we need to do is surrender to that power. In just a moment, the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing a song. The song's entitled Emmanuel. And for some of you, this may be a new song, but this is a song that is near and dear to our heart here at Woodside because um, one, of the, one of our worship guys actually wrote the lyrics to this song. And I love this song because it reminds us of the work of Emmanuel, God with us. So it, maybe you're here today and you just need the words of the song to be sung over you. Rest in it. Or maybe you're here today and as we sing this song, this song is like your anthem. As you are reminded that God is with us and you want to worship God because he has not left you alone, but he has come after you. And you want to just say glory to God and then stand and sing that song and sing it with all of your heart. Or maybe, maybe God with you is a scary thing. Maybe you've carried sin and shame and you're afraid because all you see God is a vengeful God. You see God as, as a condemning God. Well, let me remind you that through Christ, there's now no condemnation. Through Christ, God is not angry with you. God is not mad at you. Through Christ, he sees you not as an enemy, but as a child. That's the blessing that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that you are true. Thank you that you are life. Thank you that you promise that you are with us, not against us, but that through Christ, we now can have life, life now, but life eternal. Father, I pray in these next few moments, your spirit would continue to work all throughout this room. I know your spirit has been speaking and I pray that you'd help us now to respond however you've been calling us to respond. If those you're calling to salvation today, Father, I pray that they would surrender. For those maybe have been walking in sin today, that they would once again surrender. 
Father, thank you that we have the promise that you are with us through Christ. Now we worship you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.